We're going to open the scriptures again in the book of Ezekiel. I'll take us my text just where we'll commence tonight, right at the very end of the book, uh, the final verse, uh, that 35th verse of Ezekiel 48. We're very glad to be with you. We always enjoy uh, coming over to see each one and to a new fellowship with you. As always, these visits seem to be very busy, and we pack a lot in while we're here. And it's been a long day already, but we pray the Lord will sustain us and give us uh, strength for the remainder of it and for the, the meeting especially. We've had a very busy autumn in the church in, in Armagh, the denomination as a whole. Uh, two years ago, the presbytery set up a, a, a reformation committee anticipating the 500th anniversary and they organised quite a, a number of events for that and produced a number of publications as well. Uh, they had a tour to, to Germany just after Easter, went round some of the Reformation sites and produced a, a CD of Reformation hymns, uh, not all penned by Martin Luther, but uh, taking up particularly the, the five great Reformation uh, themes. And uh, the, the climax was a, a great rally that they held in Martyrs uh, on Friday the 27th of October, uh, just the, the Friday before the 500th anniversary itself. Uh, the previous Saturday they took full-page advertisements in the two main papers in Northern Ireland and the, the, the newsletter and the Belfast uh, Telegraph, uh, both to highlight the meeting, but also half of the page was taken up with uh, remembering the Reformation and uh, reminding people of the significance uh, of uh, the Reformation itself. Uh, but that was a, a great night. Uh, Martyrs Memorial was packed to capacity. Uh, it's been quite a while maybe since there has been uh, such a number gathered. Uh, and so it was a, a great conclusion to all of those uh, celebrations of the Reformation. In our own church, we we held a week of meetings with Dr. Alan Kearns uh, on the Reformation. Uh, you can hear those messages in sermon audio. We, we had a little program and we're still engaged in it going around some of the schools in the city and the area to tell the story of Martin Luther, uh, a little PowerPoint presentation we had produced uh, to tell the story uh, to the boys and girls. And Our, our church committee bought uh, several hundred copies of uh, a book about Martin Luther uh, that we could give out to the children as we uh, told the story as suited to children of a primary school age the Time Traveller series they, they have quite a number of titles in, on church history so we've still a few schools uh, to do some new schools opened up to us we wanted to reach as many uh, children as possible and uh, some of the schools that we had been going into maybe only once a year have asked that we'll come back more often in the future, so we're pleased just that uh, that little project has borne fruit as well. And we took a half page uh, in our own local paper. Uh, we, we approached the paper by paying for the half page uh, that we could highlight the anniversary and the significance of it and give some of the details, but uh, they kindly gave us the half page uh, to be able to, to do that. So we've been seeking to do as much as we can, and we, had a, we mentioned to some of you earlier a tent mission uh, back in 
the first two full weeks of September, uh, we got a very good day to put the tent up and a very good day to take the tent down, but it rained every day in between, and the rain seemed to get heavier as the two weeks went by. Uh, there's a word they use in Northern Ireland, gutters, and that's just what the field was like before the mission was over. But I have to say that it didn't deter the people from coming. In fact, as the meetings went on, more people came, and uh, the final few nights the tent was very well filled. And we're very encouraged about the number of visitors uh, that came in. We felt it was a very profitable time. We wanted to do something uh, evangelistic uh, to reach out to our community to mark uh, the anniversary of the Reformation as well. And we printed little A6 cards, and uh, 3,000 of those went out. Some people did their own area, their own road. We had a gospel message on the back and then the details of the meetings on the other side. So we're very pleased even how the people got behind that. And uh, in September as well, the, the main project that the Presbytery undertook was to produce a little uh, booklet presenting the gospel message, highlighting the Reformation. And we put one of those into every home in, in Northern Ireland. So there was over 800,000 of them uh, that were produced. Uh, and the post office uh, delivered them for us. We paid the post office uh, to deliver them into every home. So we're very pleased about that. Uh, some of the feedback, uh, some of the messages that we got from people that received them was very encouraging. And uh, some people that uh, are opposed to the Bible and to the things of God, some of the comments were disgraceful of the things that uh, uh, they actually said. But. Uh, Mr. Paisley always thought it was good when the devil was mad about what you were doing in the Lord's service, so we take encouragement from that uh, as well, and we pray that it will bear uh, much fruit, and we'll hear of others yet uh, that will be spoken to. So remember all of those uh, matters, but it's always a joy to be here, and we pray the Lord will bless our, our meditation just of his word together. We'll take a moment just to seek his face again in prayer, just a little word to still our hearts. Father, we pray that you will abide with us. We confess freely our need. We're poor and needy. And yet we rejoice that your word assures us that the Lord thinketh upon us. We come in weakness. And we pray for your strength and your power. Pray for clarity of thought. We pray for utterance of speech. Give us that utterance that comes only from the Spirit. Uh, to make known the mystery of the gospel. Thank you for your word that has been read already in our hearing and Lord we thank you for the things that we've seen even as we have read down this great chapter of 47 again together but bless our meditation give us light uh, tonight from heaven we thank you Father for the great hope of the Saviour's coming again and our prayer would be even so come uh, Lord Jesus but our prayer Father uh, for this meeting tonight is that you'll teach us uh, from your word I want to pray that you'll be pleased as we tarry here together at your feet that you'll come and open the scriptures uh, to us and speak to all of our hearts and we pray Father that we'll, we'll all be able to say that this was a blessed and a profitable time that we spent around the word tonight so answer these are Christ in Jesus name Amen Amen Ezekiel 48 and the 35th verse, the final verse of the chapter, the final verse of the book, it says it was round about 18,000 measures. 
and these words especially, and the name of the city, from that day shall be, the Lord is there. And we pray that that may be our experience tonight as well. We'll all be able to say of this meeting, as we spend the time studying the scriptures, that uh, the Lord is there, the Lord has been here, and has been present with us. Just to emphasize to you at the outset, uh, we come to think tonight of uh, the land of Israel. And I want to stress that the nation, if you think of uh, the people, the nation of Israel, it must always be considered, it must always be studied in their connection uh, with the land. Uh, The land of Israel, the land of promise. The land of Israel has always been at the centre of God's purposes, And that's especially true of God's purposes for uh, the people of Israel themselves. The land has been at the centre of God's purposes in the past. Many of the great events of the scriptures took place there, especially uh, the great events with regard to salvation and redemption. Israel, the land of Israel is especially and uniquely uh, the land of the Bible. And as it was in the past, Uh, so it will be in the future. Israel will again be the centre of God's purposes in the days that lie ahead. Not just at the return of the Saviour, but uh, far beyond that, for a thousand uh, years, as it will be uh, the place from which uh, the Saviour will reign here uh, upon the earth. And that is what these final chapters of uh, the book of Ezekiel uh, are all about with their focus on the temple the city of Jerusalem the possession of the land by the tribes and so on these chapters are all about and they are pointing us forward uh, to that time of uh, millennial glory when Israel uh, will be again and perhaps more than ever uh, be God's uh, earthly Uh, But what Ezekiel is revealing to us is that when the reign of Christ begins, Israel as as a land will undergo uh, great changes, many great physical and many great uh, geographical changes. And ultimately, there will be great spiritual changes as well uh, that will take place uh, in the land. And keep in mind, that these changes uh, that we're thinking of and speaking of will not be exclusive to Israel. Uh, The scriptures clearly teach that in that day the whole earth uh, will be changed and it will be changed back to its former glory, uh, the glory that it had at creation and the glory that it had before uh, the fall. If you remember what Peter taught in the book of Acts, he said that when the Saviour comes there's going to be a restitution and there's going to be a restitution of all things and remember that Peter wasn't the only one to, to preach and to speak and to teach about that thing because he clearly stated on that occasion which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world uh, began so every prophet uh, from the very beginning of time has preached of a coming day when everything is going to be uh, restored. And Ezekiel 
is one of the great prophets of Israel. And he's speaking of that time here in these chapters uh, that are before us uh, tonight. You'll remember as well that the Saviour himself spoke about uh, the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit uh, in the throne of his glory. The Saviour is making clear, we heard a little earlier, about the teaching of Christ that's going to be considered, especially in the meetings uh, next year. But the Saviour is making clear uh, that his reign upon the earth is going to be marked by a regeneration. And I encourage you to, to note the word. It's a great gospel word, a great gospel term. The idea of regeneration is when something is radically changed, given a new, a new nature. You think of the sinner being changed by the new birth, changed at conversion. And that's what's going to happen to the earth. That's what's going to happen to Israel when the Saviour comes again. The earth is going to be born again. The millennial period is a future period of great change. That is clearly and repeatedly uh, shown throughout uh, the scriptures. And nowhere will those changes be more visible and more important than in the land of Israel uh, itself. And that's what Ezekiel is speaking about here. Showing us and revealing to us and uh, teaching us about uh, in these chapters. He's giving us a picture He's giving us a description, and it's a a very full description. That's one of the things that puts some people off reading and studying this book and uh, studying these chapters. But he gives us a very full, a very detailed description of the new land of Israel that will be seen in the day of Christ, uh, the day of his reign here uh, upon the earth. And I want us, uh, for a few minutes as we bring this series of studies to a conclusion tonight I I want us to to think of and I want to outline for you some of the changes uh, that are to be expected in Israel in particular we've mentioned there will be changes right across the earth but we're going to think as these chapters set forth for us especially of some of the changes that will take place in the land of Israel at that particular time think first of all of uh, the theme of prosperity in the land of Israel Notice the first verse of the chapter that Mr. Toms read for us tonight. Ezekiel 47, uh, verse 1. And it says, Afterward he brought me again unto the door of the house, and behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. Notice the word behold. And let me remind you that the word behold It's like a stop sign when you find it in the word of God. If God says that we should behold something, in other words, if we should take time to consider it, to look at it. If God says we should behold something, then we really do need to stop and ponder the words uh, that are before us. The verse says, behold, waters issued out of the temple. And in verse 5, a little further down the chapter The waters, the same waters, are described by the prophet as a river. So here's something to to, to stop and to ponder and to think about. Uh, A river flowing out of the temple in Jerusalem. Can I point out to you that in ancient times, 
Jerusalem was the only city on the earth not to be built or located on a river. That's something very significant. And that's one of the reasons why this description given here by Ezekiel in chapter 47 is so remarkable. One of the reasons why the Lord doesn't want us to rush on. Why he says, behold, take time to stop and to consider it. It speaks of a river in the city of Jerusalem. But a careful study of the word of God will reveal to us that this is not the only passage. And this is not the only reference in the Bible to a river in Jerusalem. You think of the familiar words. Psalm 46, we've been thinking uh, tonight of Martin Luther. A little earlier in thinking of the Reformation and the significance of it. One of Luther's favourite psalms, the one that he based his uh, most famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress Upon. Psalm 46, it says, There is a river, the streams were off, shall make glad the city of God. Notice the place, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. Isn't that interesting? We we ought to think of it and read it in that light, in that context of that future day, the day of millennial glory. (laughs) There is a river, and it's in The city of God. And that's not referring to heaven. We can spiritualize it and apply it in that manner. But it's first application. There is uh, to Jerusalem. Think as well of what Isaiah says. He says, but there. And he's thinking of Jerusalem. The glorious Lord will be unto us. A place of broad rivers and streams. So those two passages alone. There are others that can be given. In the book of Joel, the book of Zechariah, for example. But these passages alone, these portions, are all speaking of the same time. They're all speaking of the same thing. They're all speaking of the same place. A time that is yet future, when there's going to be a river in uh, Jerusalem. And what Ezekiel is revealing to us here, at the end of his prophecy, is all about that river. And... We should realise, brethren and sisters, as we think of it, in the light of the other passages that we've mentioned, that this is not something new. It's something that is often revealed, often spoken about, often set forth in the word of God. That future day when there's going to be a a river that will flow, a, a body of great water that's going to flow out of the city of Jerusalem. And it's important to note that that river will flow down from a very great height. Because there is Israel then, uh, and Jerusalem in particular, Jerusalem will sit on a very high mountain. Not just on a high mountain, there's more emphasis placed upon it than that in the scriptures. It's a very high mountain. And Ezekiel tells us that himself. You turn back for a moment to chapter 40, and look there at the, the second verse. Of the 40th uh, chapter. Ezekiel 40. And the verse 2. It says. In the visions of God. uh, Brought me into the land of Israel. And set me. Upon a very high mountain. By which was the frame. Of a city. On the south. So there's the words itself. Set me. On a very high mountain. And we're learning there of some of the other great changes 
that's going to take place in Israel at that time. There will be changes in the geography of the land. The topography, if you like, the landscape, especially all around Jerusalem, it's going to be changed. And again, Ezekiel is not the only one to speak of those changes in the scriptures. We often sing the words of the paraphrase, Behold the mountain of the Lord, in latter days shall rise on mountain tops above the hills and draw the wandering eyes. Do you believe it? Do you believe it that was so? Literally? Actually? And remember those words are based upon the words of the prophet Isaiah. You listen carefully to what Isaiah said. And it shall come to pass in the last days. Notice the time. That the mountain of the Lord's house. Is not talking about Jerusalem. What has been referred to in the previous chapters of this book. It shall be established in the top of the mountains. Isn't that interesting? The top of the mountains. And shall be exalted above the hills. And all nations shall flow onto it. So what those words are telling us. That Jerusalem, Zion, is going to be raised up. The prophet says, in the tops of the mountains. Above the hills. And, that, and, that, and in that day, Zion will be the highest mountain. Even higher than Mount Everest today. Isn't that interesting? To some that might even seem as staggering. It says in the the words of the paraphrase that we sing. Draw the wandering eyes. In other words that's something that people will be uh, amazed at. There are many people. Even in church circles today sadly. Who would say that will never happen. But it will. And remember it did happen before. You ask me when did God raise up the mountains before? Well, it happened after the flood. The psalmist said that at the flood, uh, they go up by the mountains, they go down by the valleys. The marginal reading for those words is that the mountains ascend and the valleys descend. The mountains today, as we look out upon them on the earth, are much higher than they were before the flood. That's how the waters of the flood drained away from off the earth After the flood was over, God raised up the mountains. And Bible-believing Christians don't scoff at that when you tell them that God raised up uh, the mountains then. And it will happen again, brethren and sisters. Mount Zion will literally ascend on the earth. And another great change in the landscape of Jerusalem at that time is what will happen to the Mount of Olives. And it's also relevant to our study tonight. The Mount of Olives will cleave in two. One part toward the north and the other part toward uh, the south. When will that happen? Well, it will happen at the very moment that the Saviour stands again upon the Mount of Olives. Listen to the words of the prophet Zechariah. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof. Toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley. And half of the mountain shall remove toward the north. And half of it toward uh, the south. So there will be great changes to the geography of the land of Israel. And especially to the geography of the landscape around about Jerusalem. That will correspond 
to the flowing of this river out of the city of Jerusalem. So it is from this very high mountain and through the midst of that valley that will be created by the cleaving of the Mount of Olives that this river that Ezekiel is speaking about uh, will flow. And it will take its course uh, from Jerusalem all the way down to the Dead Sea. We're told in the chapter, the waters go into the sea and it heals. So it will flow all the way down uh, to the Dead Sea. And this river that flows down from the Millennial Temple in Jerusalem, it's a river of life. It brings fruitfulness, it brings prosperity, and it brings those things uh, wherever it goes. Can I point out to you, there's a great contrast today between Israel in the north of the land and Israel in the south. In the north, Israel is fertile and it's fruitful, but the south of Israel is a desert. It's dry and it's barren. But that will all change uh, during the reign of our Saviour. The southern part of the land then uh, will be fertile too. And Ezekiel actually says that. He says it will be like the garden of God back in chapter 36. The land that was desolate has become like the garden of Eden. Remember that's what the land was like. The land of Israel was like. Before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Back in the book of Genesis. It says that it was like the garden of the Lord. In other words it was like the garden of Eden. And the Lord's going to put it back like that again. That's what this river will do in Israel. It will restore the fruitfulness. It will even heal the dead sea itself. There's no life in that sea even to this day. No plants, no fish can live there. But in this day, when this river flows out of the millennial temple, the dead sea will become a sea of life. And we're told there in verses 9 and 10 of the portion read to us tonight, it'll be full of fish and the coasts of the dead sea will be lined with fishing ports and it will be full of fishermen. So what a change. What a great change will take place in that day in the land of Israel. And remember what Isaiah the prophet said, the wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as a rose. What a promise that is. Some well-meaning people say that is fulfilled today in some of the great irrigation projects. But that is not so, brethren and sisters. We may get a little foreshadowing in those irrigation projects of what will happen in that day. But remember that the ultimate fulfilment of that promise and that prophecy is in the millennium itself. When this river of life from Jerusalem flows down into all of those uh, desert areas. It's interesting that this river has no streams that are running into it. It has no other tributaries that are supporting it. And yet, as the waters flow onward, they get wider. They don't get shallower. They don't get narrower, as the case would be today. They get wider and they get deeper the further that they go. That may be as a result of a supernatural act of the Lord. There may be different laws of nature that will operate in those times. But that is the opposite of what we would expect to see today. The waters here of which Ezekiel speaks, they get deeper the further the river flows. 
And I want to stress to you, brethren and sisters, those things will actually happen. This river literally, actually, will flow from the temple in Jerusalem, the millennial temple, flow down that valley toward the Dead Sea. It will flow further, it will flow stronger, bringing life uh, wherever it goes. But let me say to you as well that the river, as well as being literal, is also a picture. It's a picture of some great spiritual truths. The river is a picture of the work and the ministry of the Holy Ghost. Do you remember the Saviour said that he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit. So notice the words there carefully. Rivers of living water. This river is a picture of the Spirit's work. And especially the Spirit's work in your life and the life of the believer. And that river of the Spirit in your life should run deeper. It should run stronger in your life, your spiritual life, and your walk with God. It should grow stronger and flow stronger as the time goes by. Can I ask you just to take a moment to ponder and ask yourself, is that the case? Is that so in your Christian life, your walk with, with the Lord? Remember there's references here in the chapter to waters to the ankles, waters to the knees, waters to the loins, waters to swim in. Those things remind us of, of walking, praying, serving in the spirit, overcoming all the lusts and the desires of the flesh, the fullness of the spirit, the waters to swim in, the fullness of the spirit's power in our lives. And the question for each one of us there is, is that your experience? Are you walking? Are you praying in the, the spirit of God? Uh, and so on. But as well as a personal picture here of the Spirit's work in our lives, this river is also a prophetical picture, a picture of gospel blessing in the day of the reign of Christ, the gospel blessing flowing out from Jerusalem right across the earth. And that river of gospel blessing growing stronger and deeper and bringing blessing and life uh, wherever it goes. It's a prophetical picture. Of that great day. Israel then will be a kingdom of priests. The promise of God to Abraham. Will then be ultimately fulfilled. Do you remember those words? And they shall all nations of the earth be blessed. It's ultimate fulfillment. It will be in that day. And this river gives us a picture of that. And as the gospel blessing flows out. The word of God teaches that. The people of the earth will flow in uh, to Jerusalem. Remember that's what Isaiah said. We quoted that verse to you a little earlier. All nations shall flow onto it. The word's actually used. The word flow is there in the the passage. So here are the two great rivers of the millennial period. One flowing out of Jerusalem, the river of life. And the other flowing in. The people are flooding into that great city. Uh, to hear the word of God and to, to learn of his ways and to learn uh, of his will. So that's a little of the prosperity uh, of the land of Israel in that day. Let me say something to you secondly about the possession of the land of Israel. You look there at chapter 47 and the verse 13. Thus saith the Lord God, this shall be the border 
whereby ye shall inherit the land according to the twelve tribes of Israel. Joseph shall have uh, two uh, portions. And then in chapter 48, it describes for us in some detail the possession of each tribe of Israel in the land on that day. It is true to say this part of Ezekiel reminds us of the book of Joshua. And I want to stress to you that as there was a possessing of the land of Israel in the days of Joshua, so there will be a possessing of the promised land again in the days of Messiah, the one who is uh, the greater Joshua, the fulfillment of that picture, the fulfillment of that type. Israel as a nation has been preserved down through the centuries. It has been preserved by one means only, by the mighty hand of God. He has preserved them, as the psalmist said, in their going out and their coming in. Many have tried to cut off Israel from being a nation. Think of the Second World War, all the evil deeds and programs and of activities of Adolf Hitler. Many have tried to cut this nation off uh, down through the centuries. But Israel is still on the earth today as a nation, and so they will be until the end of time. They have been powerfully preserved for one great purpose that I'll mention to you tonight, and that is to possess the land of Israel. The land pledged to them in covenant, pledged to them by God himself, pledged to them many years ago. It is often called the promised land. We describe it that way ourselves. And it's given that name for good reason, because God promised to give it to them. Not the League of Nations, not the United Nations. It was God that promised. The one who is Jehovah, the covenant-keeping God. He promised to give this land uh, to Israel as a people. He said to Abraham, unto thy seat will I give this land. And remember, that covenant, that promise still stands. That covenant, that promise will be fulfilled. It will never be forgotten uh, by the Lord himself. Can I point out to you, maybe you've noticed it yourself, as you've read these uh, verses, there is a difficulty here uh, for us in what Ezekiel says about the possession of the promised land by Israel in those millennial times. In chapter 47 there, and in the 18th verse, the eastern border that uh, Ezekiel speaks of, the eastern border of uh, the land of Israel, as Israel possesses it, is the river Jordan. But remember in the original promise that God gave to Abraham with regard to the land, that promise spoke of a different river being the border. And the Lord said to Abraham that Israel would extend as far as the river Euphrates. And what that means is that part of Iraq, it's not an interesting thought, part of modern day Iraq today belongs by covenant promise to Israel as a people. But the area that is spoken of here uh, by the prophet is uh, much smaller uh, than that. So there's little difficulty for us here in what uh, Ezekiel sets out. I suggest to you that perhaps the answer to that difficulty may be that Ezekiel is referring to the boundaries of Israel at the beginning of the, of the millennial period. But the fulfillment of what the Lord said to Abraham belongs to a, a later period uh, during the thousand year reign of Christ upon the earth. But whatever the answer, 
We know this, the Lord's word is true and his promise uh, is sure. And let me also emphasize that there is a great difference here in the way in which the land of Israel is divided among the tribes. We've mentioned Joshua, uh, comparisons and contrasts that can be drawn between the two books. But there's a great difference here in the way the land is divided among the tribes as it was in the days of Joshua. Back then, the land was divided by size among the tribes. Do you remember what the book of Numbers said? To the many, thou shalt give the more inheritance. To the few, thou shalt give the less inheritance. To every one shall his inheritance be given according to those that were numbered of him. So back in Joshua's day, the tribes were divided by size. But here, in Ezekiel's prophecy, looking forward to that millennial day, the land is divided in equal strips. The strips run from east to west, right across uh, the land from one side to the other. And they're allocated from north right down to the south. Seven are found above the holy portion of the land, and the other five are below uh, that holy portion. But some details with regard to the the land as it's allocated and possessed, the possession of the land, they're not revealed to us here in this portion of the word of God. For example, we're not told how wide the strips are or how deep, if you like. We're told that they run from one side of the land to the other, but we're not told how deep uh, those strips are. Generally speaking, every tribe is given a, a piece that is equal in size. They're given an equal share uh, of the land. And let me make it clear that this division of the land of Israel has never yet taken place. Never once in their long history did the tribes of Israel ever inherit the promised land in the manner that is set out by Ezekiel here uh, in this chapter. So this is a passage, Ezekiel 48, is a chapter that is yet unfulfilled. It speaks of a future time, of a future day. Its fulfillment belongs to a future age, to that glorious thousand-year reign of the Saviour upon the earth. And one of the lessons, one of the messages behind the equal share of the land to the tribes in that day is the message of peace, the message of equality. And we hear a lot about equality from governments and in the news in the days in which we live. Well, remember that the millennium will be characterized by peace, the millennium as a whole. The psalmist said in his days, in Messiah's days, shall the righteous flourish an abundance of peace, so long as the moon endureth. The millennium will be a period that will be characterized by peace, and that peace will be found among the tribes of Israel too. There will be no more division. There will be no more two nations, no more two kingdoms. But on that day there will be one nation united, a nation at peace with itself, a nation in harmony, serving and worshipping Jehovah uh, together. And let me stress that in that day, Israel will be established in the land, the promised land, and they will be established in that land forever. Do you remember what the Lord told David when he couldn't build the, the temple in Jerusalem. The Lord gave him this promise, uh, a promise about Israel's future. 
He said, moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them and they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. And there are other such promises as that found throughout the word of God. But brethren and sisters, that has never yet happened. Think of all of the attacks upon Israel, even to this day. Think of how they were taken captive out of the land for their sins. But God says, there is a day coming when he will establish Israel in the land. They will possess the promised land in such a manner that they will be there permanently. Never again will they be attacked. Never again will they be afflicted or driven from that land. The promise is that the land will be theirs and it will be theirs forever. In the book of Genesis, the Lord said to Abraham, For all the land which thou sayest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. And those words forever are literally unto eternity, unto the eternal state is brought in. And that is the possession of the land that Ezekiel is speaking about here, brethren and sisters, in these chapters, and especially chapter 48 of the book. It's important to note that the possession of the land also includes the city of Jerusalem. The Saviour said, Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. That's Jerusalem's condition today. We're still in the times of the Gentiles. They're still being trodden down. Daniel 2 teaches us that that period will end when the Saviour comes and sets up his kingdom upon the earth. And in that day, Jerusalem will be the joy of the whole earth. As already highlighted to you, in that day, multitudes of Gentiles will descend upon Jerusalem. They will come there for ministry. They will come there to sit under the word of God, to receive the blessing from the Lord and from the teaching of his word. Ezekiel, in the closing section of the book, from chapter 48 and the verse 30, he makes mention down to the closing verse of, of the gates, the gates of Jerusalem, the gates that those Gentile nations will enter Jerusalem through in that day. There are 12 gates in all, named of course after uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. The Gentile nations, the Gentile peoples entering in through those gates into the city of Jerusalem and reading the names of the tribes of Israel upon those gates, they will be reminded of the great truth that the Saviour taught when he was here on earth. He taught to the woman at the well that great truth that salvation is of uh, the Jews. They'll be reminded of that as they enter in through uh, those gates. The walls of Jerusalem in that day will extend uh, to just over six miles. That's something more, maybe a third more uh, than it is today. And there will be three gates on each wall facing in each direction, each direction of the compass. Those gates teaching that there is an invitation. Think of the gates pointing north, south, east and west. They're teaching that there is an invitation, there is a welcome, there is a blessing for people from every corner of the earth. Remember, all nations shall flow uh, onto Jerusalem, including the Arab and the Muslim nations, those 
nations who for centuries have been the enemies of the people of Israel. And just to make it clear when we're thinking about the gates, that the three gates on the eastern side of the city, uh, they're all open. The three gates on the eastern side of the city are all open. Uh, You can read of them there in chapter 8, verse 32. Every one of them open. In Jerusalem today, the eastern gate of the city is closed completely, walled up. You've seen pictures of it. Some of you have been there and uh, seen it for yourselves. Many earnest Bible students think that is what Ezekiel is speaking of, especially in chapter 44 and verse 2. In that place he said, uh, Then said the Lord unto me, This gate shall be shut, it shall not be opened, and no man shall enter in by it, because the Lord, the God of Israel, hath entered in by it, therefore it shall be uh, shut. You will hear people say, The gate is closed. The eastern gate is closed. And it will remain closed till the Lord comes back, till Messiah comes again and enters in through that gate. Maybe you have said that yourself uh, at some time or other. But I want you to understand tonight, I want you to be absolutely clear on the point that the eastern gate that Ezekiel speaks about in chapter 44, the gate that is shut, it's not the gate of the city. The context, if you study it carefully, of that chapter is it's the gate of the sanctuary. It's the gate of the temple. And remember, it's not current day Jerusalem that Ezekiel is speaking about. Always remember that. That's a, a simple fact that will help you clearly understand the portions that are here before you. It's not current day Jerusalem Ezekiel is speaking of. It's the millennial city. It's the millennial temple which is yet to be built. And the eastern gate is not for the Messiah. It's for the one who is described as the prince. Don't confuse uh, the two. The prince is not the saviour. The prince is not the Messiah. The prince is the one that rules the city under the Messiah. And the gate, the eastern gate, that is closed, it's not closed permanently. It's opened on certain days. It's opened on certain occasions, on certain feast days, on, on the Sabbath days, and so on. So it's important to be clear. It's important to distinguish the eastern gate that Ezekiel is actually uh, speaking about, especially in chapter uh, 44. The eastern gate of the temple is shut at certain times, but the eastern gate of Ezekiel's city that's before us here in chapter 48, which is the millennial city, not the current city of Jerusalem, that gate uh, is open for all the nations of the earth uh, to flow into Uh, that great city uh, in that day. One other thing I want to emphasize uh, to you, and that's the presence in the land of Israel in those days. Look at the final part of the last verse of the prophecy. It's the reason why we took this as our text tonight. It says, in the name of the city, notice that, the name of the city, from that day shall be called the Lord is there one of the great Jehovah titles of the scriptures? What a prospect that is, brethren and sisters. What a truth. The Lord is there. Here's a great change that's going to take place in Israel in the day of Christ. We're thinking of a changed land, a new land. Well, here's a great change, a, a very significant 
change in the land of Israel in that day. Its capital city is going to be given a new name. It will no longer be called uh, Jerusalem, and that's worthy of study in itself. But it's going to be called in that day Jehovah uh, Shammah, or as it says in our text, uh, the Lord is there. And what a great hope that gives. That opens up the great theme of the reign of Christ. If the Lord is there, it's reminding he's there for a purpose. He's there to reign upon uh, the earth. The Lord is there, brethren and sisters. And this is the reason for all of the great changes that we've been reading about and thinking about. The fact that the king himself is there uh, in the city. Here's one of the many great references in the Bible to the fact, to the truth, that there's a day coming when the king will be present. The king will be there upon his throne. He will be ruling and he will be reigning in the land of Israel. Do you remember what Micah taught? You'll hear the words coming up to the Christmas period that the one born in Bethlehem, he was born to be ruler in Israel. But that has never happened. That is something that is still to come, still future. And that's what Ezekiel is speaking about here. The Lord is there. He's there to rule. The one who is to be ruler in Israel. Remember this book of Ezekiel ends as it started. It started with the vision of God's glory. And it ends in exactly the same way with another vision of God's glory. This book, in fact, is all about the glory of God. That is the main theme of the book around which, if you want to study it carefully yourself, that's the theme around which you should study uh, the great prophecy uh, of Ezekiel. At the beginning of the book, we're given a great vision of God's throne, a great vision of God's glory. But because of the sin of the nations, the Shekinah, which was the sign of God's visible presence on the earth with his people, that Shekinah, it gradually, it slowly, step by step, departed from the city and departed uh, from the sanctuary. That's one of the reasons why in books like Ezra and Nehemiah, the Lord is repeatedly called the God of heaven because he was no longer present upon uh, the earth. You think of the solemn name given to one of Eli's grandsons, Ichabod. The glory has departed. And that's what Ezekiel is preaching about. That's what happened to Israel in Ezekiel's day. Step by step, the glory departed from his people and departed from Israel and departed from the earth. It removed from the Holy of Holies to the threshold of the house and then from the threshold of the house to the door of the east gate and then from the door of the east gate to the Mount of Olives itself. Slowly, the glory of Israel left the city. And it was as if the Lord is looking back and saying, Do you not miss me? Does no one notice? Does no one care that I am leaving this city and I am leaving this land? The glory has departed. That is Israel's sad condition uh, to this very day. But the book closes, brethren and sisters, with a message of great hope. A message of great blessing. A message of great encouragement as as all the prophets do. Because Ezekiel foretells the return of the glory to Israel again. And the coming of the Lord uh, himself. You just turn back uh, to chapter 43 for a moment. 
the opening verses. Let me read them to you. The 43rd chapter of uh, the book of Ezekiel. It says, Afterward he brought me to the gate, even to the gate that looketh toward the east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east, and his voice was like a noise of many waters. And the earth shined with his glory, and it was according to the appearance of the vision which I saw, even according to the vision that I saw when I came to destroy the city. And the visions were like the visions that I saw by the river Kibar, and I fell upon my face, and the glory of the Lord came into the house by the way of the east, or by the way of the gate, whose prospect is toward the east. So the Spirit took me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house. So I remind you again, I stress it and press it upon your hearts. The book of Ezekiel ends as it started with a vision of God's glory. But remember, this vision is looking forward uh, to a future day. I'll point this out to you just as, as we come to a close tonight. The great truth, and I want, as a word to prime the pump, to encourage you to study this for yourself. But every time the Lord was on the earth, every time the Shekinah uh, was there, the visible sign of his presence. The star of Bethlehem, despite all the nonsense, and you'll hear a lot of it repeated over the holiday period, despite all the nonsense that's said and all the nonsense that's taught about the star of Bethlehem, it was the Shekinah glory of God. That's exactly what it was. John said, the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. The word dwelt there is literally tabernacle he fulfilled the type and when he was present so too was the cloud of glory the wise men were guided by that cloud they were guided by that star as it's generally called just as Israel in the wilderness was guided by that cloud uh, the the cloudy pillar that led them all those uh, 40 years the new New testament teaches when the saviour ascended up to heaven A cloud received them out of their sight. That was the Shekinah. And remember, it was a heavenly cloud. And the heavenly cloud was accompanied by the heavenly beings, the two men in white apparel, or the two angels as we would generally describe them. The scripture says in the book of the Revelation, Behold, they cometh with clouds. It's not the clouds of the sky. It's the clouds of glory. Don't make that mistake. What significance would there be in the Lord Jesus coming in the clouds of the sky? It's the clouds of heaven. It's the the clouds of glory. It's the Shekinah, the the visible sign of his presence upon the earth. So I stress it to you. When the Savior was present, he always had the distinctive, visible sign of his presence. And so it will be, and that's what Ezekiel is telling us. So it will be when he comes again uh, the second time. And remember the scriptures clearly teach that. The words of Christ himself. We've been emphasizing a few times tonight the teaching of the Savior. Well, his Olivet Discourse, this is what he said. Then shall appear the sign 
of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. What significance there is in those words. That they're so rich with meaning, rich with truth. There will be the sign of his coming. What is that speaking of? Is it not the Shekinah? And the verse specifically says, He will come in the clouds of heaven. We're told that he will come in power and great glory. And the Shekinah glory of the Lord. So what a prospect. What a day uh, that will be. What encouragement uh, that gives to our hearts in these dark and evil days in which we live. The prospect of what is yet uh, to come and the prospect of what is yet uh, to take place. So the vision of the new land of Israel, the prosperity in the land set forth by the river, the possession of the land by Israel themselves, and then that glorious truth of the presence uh, in the land. The Lord uh, is there. What wonderful things will happen, are going to happen. What tremendous changes are going to take place when the Saviour returns. What blessing will be poured out upon Israel and through Israel then uh, to the whole world. And our prayer, brethren and sisters, our prayer, our earnest prayer should be, even so come uh, Lord Jesus. So think of that text as we finish. The name of the city from that day shall be the Lord is uh, there. May the Lord make his word a blessing uh, to our hearts tonight.